So today is October 4th, 2020. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the chapter more about alcoholism. We're gonna be reading pages 32, second paragraph, a man of 30, through page 35, the first full paragraph, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic. Our reader today is Maria M. She'll be doing the reading and our guest speaker is Denise from Dublin, Ireland. So Maria, if you can get us started, please. You're, you're muted, Maria. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, good. I'm Maria M. I am a recovered compulsive eater from New Jersey. And here we are. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking he was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle in two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he had just found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Young people may be encouraged by the man's experience to think that they can stop, this man's experience, to think that they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop, and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years 
but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is, a particularly, this is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be gravely insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We, who are familiar with the symptoms, see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try, to get, try and get them to see it. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point which we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may, not be, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few, to whom this book will appeal, can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. How then shall we develop, how then shall we help our readers to determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Thank you so much, Maria. 
And now we're going to have um, Denise from Dublin, Ireland, share on this wonderful story for approximately 20 minutes. And thank you so much, Denise. Thanks, Kim. Hi, everybody. I'm Denise B. Gratefully Recovered Compulsive Overeater here in a very wet uh, Dublin, Ireland this morning or this afternoon. Thanks, Kim, for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love these few pages. And, and when I knew these were the pages that we were focusing on today, you know, I, as I reread them in preparation, I started to reflect a lot on, on my own journey. And, and in these pages, I suppose everything, you know, I could underline the entire thing in terms of how it feels as if they're talking about my own experience. As we know, this chapter more about alcoholism is still on step one that we are powerless over food, our lives have become unmanageable. And we start to see in this chapter, three different examples where, you know, Bill Wilson and the first 100 are showing us just how this illness manifests in ourselves. So we start by hearing about this man of 30. And in the first paragraph, we're told very clearly that once he started, he had no control, whatever. And that was my life before I came into the rooms um, of OA. I had no control. I still don't have control today. I am powerless over food. Um, my entire life was marred by food, how it drove me, what I was thinking about it, whether I was eating, whether I wasn't eating, how quickly I could get a fix, not a fix. I don't remember a time in my life actually where food wasn't front and center for me from a very, very young age. And I was that person that once I started, I had no control over it, whatever. I also was the person that would swear off it, you know, like it says, um, you know, on the top of page 34, you know, some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. That was me. Every diet ended up in that place. Every morning I would wake up and it would be, today will be different, I won't eat. And usually before breakfast, I'd picked up the first fix. So if I think about what I fell victim to, on page 32, it says, he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. That was always my belief. You know, every time I good tried girl. a new diet, such a good girl. every time I tried, you know, to do something different, every time I tried the latest fad to try and control the food, I'd be off it for months at a time. I'd get serious weight loss. And then I think that I'd mastered it. And I would fall victim to that belief that now I could start to eat normally again, that now I could start to eat in moderation. But there was no moderation for me. I am an out and out compulsive overeater. And as soon as I would pick that up, you know, I love out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. That would be me. Out came the first smallest of bites off the diet or off the food plan. And the next thing I knew it was a week later and I was back worse than I'd ever been before I went into the diet. You know, and at the top of page 33, we hear it said, you know, on the second paragraph, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. When I came into the rooms of OA first, um, 
firstly, I didn't realize that there was such a thing as, as food addiction. To be honest, I'd spent my whole life in extremes, extreme binging, extreme restricting. At my heaviest, I weighed in excess of 323, 30 pounds. At my lightest, I weighed close to 105, 110 pounds and always swinging between the extreme. But there came the point for me where the restrictor button broke. It just stopped working. And that's when the binging just got worse and worse and worse and the weight ballooned up and up and up. And when I came into the rooms and started to hear that, you know, other people were sharing the stories about what I was doing in secret, I started to realize that, yes, I was a compulsive overeater, you know, but I don't know whether I still truly understood what that meant. Um, I think I identified with some of the war stories, but I don't think the delusion had yet been smashed in me. And that took many months more in the rooms, actually, for that delusion to be smashed. And for me to get to the point where there had to be no reservation of any kind, which truly is about step one. You know, can I concede to my innermost self that I am a compulsive overeater of the chronic variety? I'd love to tell you I walked into the rooms and I conceded that. I didn't. I came in and out of the rooms and I listened and then I would leave the meetings and I would go and binge because I knew the solution was in front of me. I knew what all of these people were talking about, but I had that peculiar mental twist, which they talk about, where I would still believe that I could get away with it. I would still believe that this time it would be different, that this time if I binged, I could stop tomorrow. And there were many meetings where I sat through and nodded. I was like the nodding dog, you know, and then walking out of the room and not even making it past the first driveway where I would be in and binging in my car all the way home and then coming back to the next meeting. But something did keep me coming back, you know, because I was hearing a truth, albeit a truth I didn't want to yet admit to myself because I hadn't let go that reservation, but I was hearing a truth. And I think for me, you know, I was that person at the top of page 34 you know if anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area let him try leaving liquor alone for one year if he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced there is scant chance of success I couldn't even get a few hours out of the food at that point you know I really had started to realize that the restrictor button was gone the periods out of the food were gone and my whole life was unmanageable. It was totally falling apart. And I had scant chance of success because I couldn't leave the food alone. It dominated everything. It was destroying all of my relationships. I was barely able to turn up for work, you know, and that was my truth. But what I did have and what I knew I had was what it says at the, the second part, sorry, the start of the third paragraph on page 34, that the reader desires to stop. I had this insatiable desire to stop. I just didn't know how to do it. I really didn't know how to do it. And for me, that was the true definition of powerlessness. You know, I had this desire to stop. I knew I wanted to cease forever, as it says. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet I myself found it impossible. And this was the baffling feature of my food addiction as I know it, the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great my necessity or wish was. 
And that's where I was at. That's absolutely where I was at. You know, I was in that absolute dilemma of wanting to let it alone and not knowing how. And for me, I actually hit my rock bottom in the rooms, you know, because the pain of seeing the solution in front of me, hearing these people who had what I wanted, knowing that my desire was so strong, but yet not willing to, you know, completely surrender to it, completely uh, have no reservation that I was a food addict and that was never going to change. You know, that who I was, whether I was in the food or out of the food was not going to change, that I was a food addict and I had a real problem with this. And the pain for me um, got to the point where there was just a total surrender. I'd love to tell you it was an active thing. I was beaten into surrender. That is my truth. The food beat me into surrender, you know. Um, and I think for me, it was very important, I think, to accept that. You know, I'd love to tell you I surrendered willingly. Uh, I didn't. I was in absolute and utter pain. And I also think for me, what I've learned over the years in recovery, and I think these few pages say it beautifully, and they say it at the bottom of page 33, is, you know, everybody's rock bottom is different. We don't have to compare ourselves to each other. My rock bottom may be way more bottom of the gutter than others. Others may be more bottom than me, but it doesn't matter. Our rock bottom is our rock bottom. And the food had me in its grips. You know, it was my master. And I was, I suppose, just annihilated by it. That is the word I would use. I was annihilated by it. And for me, surrender came with my last binge, with la which lasted 40, I, I would say 48 hours. I had asked a recovered member to sponsor me and she was being very patient, but I wasn't out of the food. I hadn't managed to put it down even for a few hours. I binged for 48 hours and I just couldn't do it. And I remember that moment of absolute desperation where something changed. You know, and I would even say for myself, I was even powerless over the surrender piece in that moment, you know, but I knew I was broken. And my sponsor said, you know, get 24, 48 hours out of the food and let's start the steps. And I knew that I, I no matter what, I had to do that. And, and that's what I did. I actually just put down the food and oh my gosh, you know, it was not easy. It was not easy. And, and I'm very clear about that message. You know, coming out of the food was not easy, but I put down the food and I worked the steps like, well, not even like, because my life depended on it. I didn't dally about. I didn't wait around. I got straight into the big book. I got straight into working the steps because my life was truly and utterly unmanageable. It really, really was for me. Um, and even after all these years, you know, these, I mean, by the grace of God, I, I'm recovered, you know, an abstinent eight years in this program. But truthfully, today I have to work up and live in my program stronger than I did when I first put down the food, because my illness, my disease will come in with that peculiar mental twist. And it will be so cunning, powerful and baffling 
that there are moments that it will try to convince me again that because I have abstinence under my belt, you know, that maybe it's not so bad. Maybe the start of my journey was not as bad as I believe it was. It was. It was as bad. It was every bit as bad. But pain has a short memory. You know, I am a compulsive overeater recovered for today by the grace of God, but I am a compulsive overeater. That will never change. Every morning I get up and I have to do everything I had to do when I came into the rooms first to stay well. And every day I have to do a little bit more because my illness gets stronger and stronger. The one thing I know for sure today is the delusion in me is totally and utterly smashed. I know that I cannot pick up so much as one bite or I am back to where I was and even worse than where I was that day when I actually surrendered and realized just how powerless I was over my eating, over my food behaviors, not just even my eating, over my food behaviors. And more importantly for me, how powerless I am over my thoughts, my head, that obsession of the mind. You know, that obsession of the mind drives and, dro- and dro- drove, sorry, everything that was in my life. And today it can do that as well. You know, again, I do not take step one lightly. You know, it is something I remind myself of daily, how powerless I am over my thoughts, words, deeds, actions. You know, every morning when I pray, I ask God to guide all of them. I ask God to guide my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my actions for the day, because left to my own devices, I am this man of 30. I am this man who will tell myself and the illness will tell me that, oh, I've, I've done it now. You know, I have, I have arrived, as it says in Bill's story, but in a different way, that because I've been out of the food for so long, maybe this time will be different. You know, that peculiar mental twist that will come in and say to me, actually, do you know what, Denise? Maybe this time you could get away with that little piece. Maybe this time it won't be so bad. And thank God today, I have a God of my understanding that I'm able to lean on who reminds me, yes, Denise, yes, my darling, it will be that bad. And in fact, it will be a whole lot worse. So hold on with everything you've got. And I have great freedom today. You know, those beautiful step 10 promises were read out at the start of this meeting. And I love hearing them because that is my truth today. I have ceased fighting everything and everybody. I've been brought to a place of neutrality. And on the days that I am fighting, they're the days I'm out doing my step 10. They're the days I'm picking up the phone to my sponsor. They're the days I'm leaning further into step 11. You know, so I know more you know, than ever today, that I have to surrender to the fact that I am a compulsive overeater. And I have to accept the fact that I am recovered contingent on a daily practice of living. This program is a design for living for me. You know, food was my master. It beat me into submission. It robbed everything good I had in my life, you know, it destroyed me physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Was recovery easy? Is recovery easy? No, it's not. But for me personally, it is a journey beyond my wildest dreams. And it's one 
by the grace of God that I gladly take today because I know the alternative, you know, and I am so grateful that I have been given the blessing of working with newcomers because they remind me every single time they connect with me and they share their amazing journeys of recovery with me, you know, just how important it is for me to work my program. You know, I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable when I am not working and living this program one day at a time. So thank you for taking the time to um, listen to me this morning. And Kim, thank you so kindly for asking me to speak on this wonderful topic. And with that, I'll pass. Goodness gracious. Thank you so much, Denise. I so appreciate you.